Good morning, church. Hope you're uh, enjoying the crisp morning. I had to get out yesterday to uh, come work on the sermon and go get groceries and do, do a few other errands. And as soon as I stepped outside, I really contemplated calling Jim and saying, I'm not preaching tomorrow because I don't want to leave the house. But I'm glad that, I'm glad that it's a beautiful day. Uh, yesterday was a beautiful day, just in a different way. So, uh, When I was in college, I had a pretty big group of core friends that I hung out with. We were all in the same youth group, and, and most of us stayed in town and went to Harding. So this was a group of friends I had since high school. So we hung out all the time. But occasionally, we would bring in people from outside the core group to hang out with us for what seemed like a, a trial basis. I guess if the entire group liked them, then uh, they just became a part of our core group. We never took a vote. Uh, they just started hanging out with us more, and no one really said anything about it. One of these outsiders was a girl I knew from high school. Her name was Marissa. Two things you need to know about Marissa. My little brother had a huge crush on her, and Marissa was dating someone at the time. Now, here's the baffling thing to me. Even though Matt was the one who had a huge crush on her, for some reason, Marissa's boyfriend didn't like me. I had never met this guy, but for some reason, he hated when she hung out with us, our group, because I was usually there. So fast forward a few months later, and I'm just, I'm really sick of this guy. He won't talk to me, won't get to know me, but for some reason, he just doesn't like me. So me and my core, uh, core group of friends are driving around one day, and I just unload on them telling them how this guy is an idiot and stupid, and Marissa just needs to break up with him, because even though I've never met him, he's clearly not the, girl for, or the guy for her. I go on about five or ten minutes about this guy. When I'm done, my friend Chris, who is sitting right behind me, just says, I like how you're dogging on my brother right now. <laughs> yeah, it didn't dawn on me until that moment that Chris and Marissa, Mar Marissa's boyfriend were siblings. I mean, talk about putting my foot in my mouth. I apologized to Chris, and he, he was really cool about it, but I felt like a fool for the rest of the day. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us to do everything without complaining and arguing. I wish I could stand up here today and tell you that because of that humbling experience, I no longer complain about things. But unfortunately, complaining and being negative in general is something that I really struggle with. And lately, God has been opening my eyes to just how negative I can be. So I've done a lot of self-reflection on why I'm so negative. Why do I complain? Why do I argue with people? And I want to share that with you by working through the first half of Philippians chapter 2. So we can see how Paul builds up to this statement, do everything without complaining. Paul starts this chapter by saying this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I love that Paul starts off with these kinds of thoughts, and even though these are meant to be rhetorical, Paul is still trying to get us to do a little self-reflection and think about our relationship with Christ. Do I have any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Do I have any comfort from his love? Do I have any fellowship with others in the Spirit? And is my heart tender and compassionate. Take a moment and just think about how you would answer those. The verse 2 seem easy. We probably wouldn't be Christ followers if we didn't have encouragement or comfort. Clearly, we have fellowship with others in spirit because we're all here today. But that last one, 
I want to say my heart is tender and compassionate, but since we've already established that I tend to be more negative, it's hard for me to give an emphatic yes. No matter how you answer these, I think it's important to stop at this verse and just take a moment to reflect before we move forward. Paul continues, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. This is a tough verse. Because I bet if we were to poll everyone in this room, we would not agree on a lot of things when it comes to church, God, and other spiritual matters. So what, what is Paul saying? Because he has to know that there are not two people in the world that agree on everything 100%. Well, Paul is building to a particular point. So we started with the self-reflection. Then he throws out an almost impossible statement. But then he immediately explains what he means. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. What Paul is saying here is if you want to agree wholeheartedly with all of you, if I, if I want to agree wholeheartedly with all of you, if I want to love everyone in this room, and I want to work together with one mind and purpose for the, benef- the benefit of Western Hills, I cannot assume that I am right. Thinking that I am right, thinking that I have all the answers, leads me to be arrogant, thinking that I'm better than everyone in this room. It can lead me to be selfish. And since I'm right, you should listen to me, not the other way around. Because my way is better. Which leads me to looking out for my own interests and thinking that your interests are not important. Do you see how this could cause division? But if we have the mindset of, I always need to learn, we will have humility that says, I don't have everything figured out. It will be a lot easier for us to agree on something, for us to love one another, and for us to work together with one mind and purpose if we go in with the mindset of verses 3 and 4. One mind does not mean that we have the same opinion on theology. One mind means that we are trying to put each other's thoughts, opinions, and views on equal footing. My thoughts are not any better than yours. My, your opinions are not any better than mine. They all have equal value if we can come to the table with humility and selflessness. Now, I do want to stop and say that don't use verse 3 and 4 to allow Satan to convince you that you need to be walked all over. Yes, be humble, be selfless, but be confident. We tend to associate humility with timidness, but there's a confidence that comes when we understand that our, the source of our humility doesn't come from us trying to be more humble. Humility comes from us surrendering our arrogance to God and allowing him to humble us. And when we allow God to humble us, verse 5 becomes a lot easier. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That verse seems like Paul is demanding that we have an attitude like Christ did, but in context, what he's saying is, if you want to accomplish everything I just wrote, if you want to agree wholeheartedly, love one another, work together with one mind and purpose, be selfless, be humble, and put others before yourself, then the only way you can do that is to look to Christ as your example. So Paul goes into what many scholars believe is a song that the first century church would have sang 
when they met together that Carter just read for us. And this song really breaks down what it means to have the same attitude that Christ had. So let's walk through it so we can get some ideas of what that attitude looks like. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And that first verse, that really hits me at my core. Jesus, God himself, wasn't worried about trying to be equal with God. Yet I don't know how many times in my own life that I think my ways are better than God's ways. What I can essentially say is I'm not just equal to God, I'm above God. So if I want to understand, if I want to have the attitude of Christ, we must first understand our position before God. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus went from the highest position to the lowest position. I believe he did this because he loves us, but I also think that he did this to show us that there's a better way to live as humans. Our human nature is naturally selfish. We tend to have a me versus the world mentality. We tend to look out for number one. And that leads to destruction in many different forms. So God himself comes down to show us that if we put others before ourselves, humanity can have a better harmony. Because if I'm looking out for you, and you're looking out for me, then hypothetically, all our needs should be met. Now amplify that. If we're all looking out for each other, before we look out for ourselves, then this becomes a community that can thrive. Now let me stop and say that I'm not just talking about physical needs. I know people in here who have had a really bad year or two, and it would be easy for them to sulk in their own self-pity. But instead, they use that lesson, the lessons they've learned and the value that they are in to encourage other people. And when the people they encourage get out of the valley before they get out of their own valley, they aren't mad. They rejoice. Because that's what having an attitude like Christ Jesus is all about. We may not die a physical death on a cross, but we allow our selfish ambition to be crucified every time we help someone without expecting anything in return. Let's continue with the last part of that song. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to glory the God, the Father. Do you see what happened here? Jesus is God, but lowered himself and gave up his divine privileges so that he could come and die as a human for our salvation. And because of that humility that he had his entire life, God elevated him. Now what's interesting about this is that there's no indication that Jesus expected God to elevate him. Jesus humbled himself, was obedient to God, and even died for us all because he understood that God is enough. Jesus understood that God's view of him was already the highest it could be. Jesus understood that God loved and was pleased with him because that's who God is and not based on anything Jesus did. It becomes a lot easier to follow God when we understand what Jesus understood. God loves us 
and is pleased with us already. And following that kind of father is a lot more compelling than following someone whose expectations I can never live up to. So let's recap real quick before we jump into the next section. Section. Paul starts with a series of rhetorical questions that make us reflect on our own relationship with Christ. Then Paul gives us a call to unity that seems and is impossible by our own human effort. Paul tells us unity comes from being humble, selfless, and putting others before ourselves. Paul says if we want to have the mindset, uh, this mindset, we must have the attitude like Christ Jesus. And lastly, Paul breaks down what having an attitude like Christ Jesus looks like using a song the church he is writing to must have sung. Now I'm going to pause for a minute because the last time I put a list on the, on the projector and I didn't give enough time to write it down, I got in trouble. So I'm just going to filibuster for a second while we uh, give everybody just a, no, I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to move on. If you, if you want that breakdown, I will be more than happy to send it to you uh, and post it on Facebook later. Now, Paul transitions from what it means to have a Christ-like attitude to what it looks like to live with a Christ-like attitude. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul is urging the church in Philippi to follow his instruction, even though he's not there anymore. And he uses some tough language, like work hard to show the result of your salvation. But what does it mean to work hard? This is where we can get into danger of creating a checklist for our Christian walk. And what I mean by that is uh, we have a list of things we feel like we have to do in order for us to feel like we're following God correctly. But that's not what Paul is doing here. He's not calling us to make a list of things we have to do because working hard will look different for everyone. Because we all have different gifts, we're all at different places in our lives, and we're all at different points in our spiritual walk. The list, pun intended, goes on and on. And Paul clarifies that he's not guiding us to make a spiritual checklist by saying that God is the one working in us giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So God is the one who will put the desire in your heart to do certain things. Now, I'll give you an example. I don't really like to read my Bible. I never seem to retain the information, and I'm a little ADD, so my mind tends to wonder when I read. I do, however, enjoy focusing on a specific verse or section of Scripture and really meditate on what that means. I may not be reading the Bible all the way through every year, But those verses I do read tend to stay with me a lot better that way. I think this is something God has led me to because he knows reading the Bible and not retaining information frustrates me. But you may be someone who loves to read their Bible, and that's great. I use that to show us that Christianity is not a cookie-cutter formula. It's going to look different upon our age, personality, experiences in life, spiritual gifts, Again, the list goes on. The worst thing I can do is take the desires that God has given me and then try to transfer them to you. Because that could easily lead me to become judgmental towards you. For example, if I fast once a week, I don't, but let's just say hypothetically I did, and you don't, that's okay. 
But if I, if I start thinking, you're not a good, as good of a Christian as I am because you don't fast as often as I do, I have completely forgotten what it means to have a Christ-like attitude. I'm thinking that I'm better than you, which leads me to be arrogant, selfish, and everything we talked about at the beginning of this sermon. And this is why, this is why I think Paul writes this next. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Complaining about and arguing with people is not a humble, selfless, Christ-like attitude. Because complaining and arguing are rooted, again, in my need to be right. My need to be right can be detrimental to my spiritual walk. I don't know how many times in my life I thought I was right, and I had to be humiliated because I wasn't. But I also don't know how many times in my life that I actually have been right, but use that as an excuse to not extend grace and love. The more I complain, the more I argue because I think I'm always right, the more I can look like a fool. I want to show you a clip of someone who constantly had a negative attitude. This person complains, thinks they're right, and ends up looking like a fool. Let's watch this clip. Howdy, Barney. It's goodbye, Barney. Barney? What's the matter? Turning in one badge, one notebook, and one pencil. Barney, what are you doing? I'm handing in my resignation as deputy. That's what I'm doing. One gun belt, one holster, one revolver, and one bullet. <laughs> well, well, now, hold on there. Wait just a minute. No, no, this is it, Andy. This is it. One whistle. <laughs> I replaced the P in it, but I ain't gonna charge you. <laughs> Barney, well, what do you mean you're handing in your resignation? Just what I said. I'm handing in my resignation. One tie clip. One time. Well, 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 now, hold just a minute now. Now, before, before I accept your resignation, I got to have a little explanation here. Now, just ease back and tell me what's got into it. Well, this is the last straw, Andy. It's bad enough there ain't any deputy in for me to do, but I don't like to be teased about it. You as, uh, you, you as teased? That's right, and by your own son, Opie. Well, what happened? I seen him do it. I caught him red-handed. Well, well what did Opie do? You don't believe it, do you? Well, I didn't think you would. One cap. Well, now, now, wait, wait a minute. I am bound to hear this. Now, tell me, what did Opie do? He wrote a poem about me on the wall of the bank. Well, what poem? Well, I wrote it down. I'd like to offer this as foolproof evidence. <laughs> there once was a deputy called Fife who carried a gun and a knife. The gun was all dusty, the knife was all rusty because he never caught a crook in his life. <laughs> now, that's undermining the dignity of the law. It, it makes out like I, I, I never wanted to catch crooks. And that just ain't so. I'd catch them in a minute. But how am I going to catch them if there ain't any, for heaven's sake? <laughs> if only somebody would just commit a crime. One good crime. <laughs> if only somebody just... Kill somebody. Barney. Well, I don't mean anybody we know. <laughs> well, a couple of 
strangers was to come into town and... Well, if one of them was gonna kill the other one anyways, he might just as well do a cheer. Maybe, maybe we ought to advertise. Oh, that's, that's right. Make jokes about it. Make jokes about it. What I'm trying to tell you... Hi, Paul. Oh, hi, hi, Opie. Now, now you can just go ahead and ask him for yourself. All right. Uh, Opie... Barney says there was a poem written on the wall of the bank and that you were standing along beside of it with a piece of chalk in your hand. Yeah, but I didn't do it, Paul. Honest. Well, I believe you. Are you pitting your crime detecting judgment against mine? Well, Barney, I have to. Because for one thing, Opie wouldn't lie to me. You call that evidence? And for another, he ain't learned how to write yet. Well, what's that got to do with... <laughs> uh, you don't know how to... One flashlight. Now, wait a minute, Barney. Opie, tell Barney what happened. Well, I was on my way home from school, and I saw a couple of the big fellas writing on the wall. When they heard you coming, they pushed the chalk into my hand and took off like two hound dogs that backed into a porcupine. That's the truth, Paul. All right, that's it. That's it. Barney, Barney is so preoccupied with getting justice for himself that he complains, sulks in his own self-pity, and accuses Opie before he can even get Opie's side of the story. And if Andy were not a better man, he might have scolded Barney pretty harshly for falsely accusing his son. Now, Paul tells us not to complain and argue so that no one can criticize us. If we are others-focused, if we are humble and selfless, becoming a servant of the world like Christ did, and the world will start to look at us differently. People might see us more like Andy and less like Barney. I want to close by saying that I know that's not an easy thing to do. It's easier and more in line with our human nature to act like Barney did. I speak from experience because I'm someone God has to humble all the time. I put my arrogant foot in my mouth more times than I can count. But God gracefully shows me that there's a better way. I don't want you to leave today thinking, I must do more to be like Christ. Because becoming more like Christ isn't about trying harder. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to transform you to be like Christ. It's allowing ourselves to surrender to Him so that He can take away our pride, our arrogance, our selfishness, and anything else that might be holding us back from a Christ-like attitude. If you need prayers about that or anything else going on in your life, we will surround you with love, grace, and prayers. David's going to sing a song, and that's a perfect time to do that here. So please stand while we sing. <laughs>